Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. I'm excited for this next question as well because I'm sure it is applicable to many people today and you will see why when he asks it. Paul had to address this as well when it comes to the early church specifically. And this is from our brother Tom who was one of our Patreons. And if you're looking at the image that plays during that, you'll see their name and a little Patreon logo. That's who we have on first. And then I see there are some questions specifically uh, on our YouTube channel that we hope to get to in the second half of this episode, which we're already in the second half, but we're going to call it the second half. We'll just go a little longer today than we were expecting. But let's uh, let's get our next question from Tom. Hi, guys. Uh, my name's Tom Nemeth. I'm one of your Patreon supporters, and uh, I was calling in response Thanks, to uh, the radio show that you guys are going to do this coming Thursday uh, with my question. Um, my question for Pastor Joe is uh, what advice can he give biblically uh, for a person who is in an unequally yoked marriage, uh, specifically a, a providentially unequally yoked marriage. Uh, in other words, uh, a person who, uh, when you know, them and their wife got married, they were both unbelievers, uh, and one came to the Lord and got saved mm. later, uh, and the other one remains an unbeliever, and uh, which would obviously cause some friction in the marriage. Uh, what advice biblically can Pastor Joe offer for such a person? Uh, you know, how to best not only to survive the marriage, but to thrive in it. How to best uh, witness to the unbelieving spouse without damaging the relationship. Uh, how to be sympathetic of the unbelieving spouse's uh, feelings and whatnot while still being faithful to the Lord. Uh, I, I would love to hear this question answered. And uh, I just thank you guys so much for your ministry. I love what you do. God bless. Uh, thank you, Tom, so much for sending in that question. I think it's really, really important, Joe. And one, one of the great things about answering it is we have a pastor here to talk about that because I think this is, when, in terms of pastoral care, this is probably an area that I'm hmm. sure you've dealt with a number of times. And I, like I said, it, this was something rampant in the early church, right? I mean, this it's is the something... the first time I've heard this question. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Uh, rampant in the early church. You think about, uh, you know, people coming to Christ and then yeah. their spouses being yeah. pagans and, and so forth. So maybe, you know, speak to, obviously, from your heart to yeah. Tom. Let him know what's... Uh, and Tom, what you know, say. I've never heard it uh, asked that way, the way you did. And the way you asked that question, praise the Lord for your heart, because you're already on the right track, you know? I really bless my heart. You pretty much already have a lot of the answer. I'll just kind of, you know, encourage you. And as brothers, you know, iron will sharpen iron, hopefully. And uh, But uh, in the early church, you know, Chad's definitely correct because you had a lot of people coming to Christ. And the situation was that a lot of them, when they came to Christ, their spouses didn't come to Jesus. A lot of times it was men and their wives didn't come and it was wives and their husbands didn't come around. So the cool thing, Tom, is that uh, you have an entire chapter written for you on this very specific subject there in first corinthians chapter seven uh so that's just and that shows you how prevalent the problem was in the first century uh and there's a lot of really good things that paul says there uh but then also maybe mention some practical things but uh just a few things that he mentions there 
uh, that I think are very pertinent to this question as far as, you know, it says if the unbelieving spouse desires or to consent or consents to stay with you, uh, don't leave them, you know, stay in that marriage, obviously. If the unbelieving spouse leaves you, it says you're not bound to that marriage. And, uh, but if they are there and they're consenting to live with you, uh, don't kick them out, you know, don't jettison that, that marriage. Uh, and also, I think it's important to understand the Bible says, and I think it's in 1 Corinthians 7, 11, and I have this verse memorized because it's much, I've dealt with this subject before. Uh, it's in my heart. And at, when I first became a pastor, you know, over 30, was it, wow, it's been a little while now, right? <laughs> 30 years ago, plus over, over 30 years ago, uh, that was one of my biggest questions. Lord, I don't want to grieve your spirit. I don't want, I live in California. There's a lot of divorced people here. Uh, marriage is not held in high esteem, but I don't want to grieve your Holy Spirit. I don't want to ever give wrong counsel and so forth. And I want to be beholden to you and, and loyal to you, no matter what, whether something's popular or not. Uh, and I cried out to understand divorce, remarriage better, and so forth. Uh, and I, and not long after that, I had to deal with situations. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7 was very, very helpful. Uh, and 1 Corinthians 7 talks about that. Uh, it, it talks about, you know, not to leave your, 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 unbelieving, your unbelieving spouse. And that's plan A, don't leave them. But if you do leave them, says and uh and it's like wait he says don't leave them and you, what if you do leave them and obviously plan a is god's highest right don't leave them but guess what there's some circumstances maybe someone's threatened with you know a knife or something like that uh death or what have you if you do leave them it says either be reconciled to that marriage or remain unmarried in other words because if there's not sexual adultery you know if there's not adultery and that person uh is consenting to be with you but you're in a situation where it's impossible to deal with that situation without, you know, losing your life possibly. Uh, get, you know, counseling, reckon, be reconciled, have that person reconciled to you, you be reconciled, or remain unmarried. So that's very important. But at the same time, I'll say this. I think this is important that we understand uh, that it's important to look at your spouse as your mission field. Uh, this is the counsel I give to women, men who are married to an unbeliever uh, because it says there that the unbelieving spouse sanctifies, or the believing spouse sanctifies the unbeliever and sanctifies the children too. The sanctified is not used in 1 Corinthians 7 in the context of salvation, but it does uh, emphasize how the Holy Spirit will use you in a special way to have a godly influence on your on your spouse. But there is another verse there, I think it's around verse 16, where Paul says, how do you know, a woman, that you will not save your husband? And how do you know, a husband, that you will not save your wife? You know? So, uh What's Paul saying there? He's talking about looking at your spouse as your mission field. And people will go on a mission field and they'll spend their entire life on a mission field and they just get one convert. And many die without even making a convert, but they plant seeds, you know? And how much more should we go after that one soul? Jesus leaves the 99 to go after one sheep, right? How much more if the person that we made a covenant before God with to uh, be faithful unto death and so forth, should we seek to their salvation? Amen. And that can be harder at, at times for sure, because you're living with somebody, you're seeing all their ugliness, all their fleshliness and so forth. But you also allow that to be God refining you because God uses the trials in our lives to make us more like Christ. So it's very important that we remain uh, gospel focused. We remain mission focused uh, and have a, a missionary mindset and, and being missional will be huge and also recognize that God works all things together for the good in our lives, for those who live under the call according to purpose, including and probably mostly for many people, an unbelieving spouse 
to keep us on our knees, to keep us praying, to keep, keep us seeking the Lord. So I want to encourage you because if you look at your spouse as someone for whom Christ died mm-hmm. and you pray for her or him, depending whether you're male or female, I know you're, I know you, brother, are male, but for everybody, for everybody listening, uh, and earnestly cry out to God, uh, you can see that person converted, uh, because of your prayers and your hard work. Let me say one more thing on a practical level. When somebody goes to a foreign land to bring people to Christ, oftentimes they have to learn their language. They have to go through sleepless nights. They have to go through many dangers and many hardships. Why would we abandon it? Not that, and it doesn't sound like you're in the mode of abandoning your marriage at all, brother. It sounds like you have a great heart to work it out. But uh, how much more for the very person we married should we undergo learning their language, you know? Uh, Learning uh, or going through hardships and things like that to reach them. See what I'm saying? So I really wish the church would adopt that mindset. I believe we see a lot more unsaved spouses saved, and we see a lot happier people that are married to unsaved spouses because they're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I've seen many people that have had, have unsaved spouses that have the joy of the Lord because Christ is first in their lives. And so that's the main thing is keep Jesus first. Yeah, amen. What a, what a great mission field you had there. Even as you had mentioned, it was God's providence that you would come to the Lord after, you know, and then you create a mission field. I can't, I, I can read story after story after story, specifically of like strong-willed men who come to faith after their wife, you know, over and over and yeah. over again. Uh, and, and it's, and it's amazing. So praise God. And, and for those, you know, who are like, Hey, I, I could tell you, you said, Hey, for men, women, there were comments on the YouTube channel and on Facebook over, Hey, that's my situation. Women and men, that's my situation. 25 yeah. years. Someone just said of marriage, just like that. But, 25 field years on that mission. Field. But, uh, I know one of the brothers who had already asked a question tonight, he said, I love my wife. You know, I know she's not saved, but I love my wife. And I was like, that's beautiful. Praise you know, God. I think that's absolutely so, so important. So we're going to switch from the practical into a more theological question here with our sister, Allie. Oh, hi. Yeah, my name is Allie. I'm from Kansas City. Um, I've been out to Southern California. My daughter goes to Biola, and we've been in Huntington Beach. And listening to some um, evangelists there, I have a question. I have some really popular evangelists that are teaching Lordship salvation. Hmm. I was wondering if you could touch on that, and if you know, it sounds like a heresy to me. Um, basically, from what my understanding is, is that it that repentance is a prerequisite to be saved. Um, if you can touch on that, thank you. Well, praise God, Ali. I'm excited about that, and I'm actually right now posting on our YouTube channel. If you go there right now, I'm going to be posting a link to a much, much more detailed answer than Joe has time to give here. It's an entire half hour just on lordship salvation. But I I think um, one of the things about this question, Joe, that she pointed out a couple of things. She's saying she was hearing preachers on Huntington Beach uh, preaching lordship salvation and saying you need to repent to be saved. Now, I think there could be some differences maybe in an understanding of what repentance is and also maybe an understanding what lordship salvation is there. Yeah, so there's a couple questions bound up together. Uh, and this could be a very uh, thorny subject because it depends on how you, des- you describe uh, lordship salvation, first of all. Uh, but really, there's ultimately two views. There's lordship salvation and there's lordless salvation, right? So uh, either Jesus is your Lord. When you come to Christ, you come to him as your Lord or you reject him as your Lord and say, no, I don't need to follow you as my Lord. I can do my own thing, but I'll just take your salvation. I'll accept you as Savior 
a half of Jesus, but not as my Lord. I'll reject the other half. But uh, Jesus is not can't be cut in half. So uh, it's important that we understand that Jesus does not save, will not save someone who refuses to submit to his lordship. The Bible says, without holiness, no one uh, will see the Lord. The Bible says, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away. All things have become new. Uh, the first verse I mentioned is Hebrews 12, 14. The next one was 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Uh, Jesus said, uh, you know, you'll know them by their fruit. Every tree that doesn't bear fruit, John says in Matthew chapter 3, the Baptist will be cut down and thrown in the fire and burned, you know, and he's talking about hell right there. Uh, so for someone to claim to be a believer and have a relationship with Christ but reject his lordship, uh, to become a Christian, we must confess Jesus Christ as Lord, you know. Uh, and the word Lord there and the history of that word is it meant owner, you know, a hus- husband even, you know, in some context. Uh, but in the context of salvation, Jesus said, he made it very, very clear. He said, why do you call me Lord and do not the things I say? And in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 21 and following, Jesus talked about how there will be many that will say, Lord, Lord. But he said, I never knew you. And he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You did not do the will of the Father. In other words, they rejected God's will in their life. They rejected the will of Jesus in their lives. And they were workers of iniquity. And they are cast into the fire. Uh, that's serious stuff. So on the other hand, let's let's try to understand this. We also don't believe, as some people do teach, in, and that's why I don't like to even call it lordship salvation. We believe in biblical repentance uh, because some people make it sound as though you have to fully get every sin out of your life before God will accept you. And that's, that's not uh, what we believe either. We believe that when we come to Christ, yes, the Bible is very clear. Every ancient biblical creed has repentance in it, you know? It's only more recently where people are saying you don't need to repent to to get right with God. Uh, The Bible is very clear uh, that I mentioned earlier in an earlier question that godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to life, uh, and that the Bible talks about repentance as being a turning from and faith being a turning toward, and repentance sometimes be uh, uh, also Paul in Acts, that's in Hebrews 6, by the way, first couple verses. In Acts, Paul talks about faith toward God or repentance toward God. So repentance and faith go together. They're two sides of the same coin. In fact, Jesus, keep in mind, said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He made it uh, essential uh, to not perishing. Luke chapter 13, verse 3. Luke chapter 13, verse 5. Luke chapter 24, he said to his apostles to go preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So where does repentance fit into faith? And, and, and this is, like I said, it's kind of thorny because we've got two very involved questions. So I want to try to get this done in just a couple more minutes. But please understand this is you really can't exercise biblical faith without biblical repentance. Why? Because repentance is a turning from in the heart. It's metanoia is a Greek word. And it means to have a change of heart, a change of mind, you know. And and when you change your heart and your mind about rebelling against the Lord and living a life of rebellion against Him, you turn from that life of rebellion, that broad road that leads to hell, destruction, to Jesus, who is the narrow gate, right? He is the door. He is the way, the truth, and life. So he's even the road. And when you turn to the narrow road, you turn to Jesus. You're To turn to him, you have to turn from. But if you refuse to turn from, you can't turn to. The faith toward God is a result of the repentance from, you see. And none of this is a work that you do to merit or earn salvation because it's an act in the heart of remorse over your sin. Jesus, the Bible says God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. 
And you must be like a little child, Jesus says, and, re- and, and be converted to enter the kingdom of God. So what has to happen in our hearts, we have to humble ourselves because salvation is conditional. We don't just go up to people and say, hey, you're automatically saved. Jesus died for you. No, we tell them, guess what? You have to repent and put your trust in Jesus. And sometimes you see repentance without the word faith, and sometimes you see faith without the word repentance. But guess what? The Bible can speak that way because they go together. If someone has true faith, they're repenting. If someone's truly repenting, they're turning to Jesus in faith. You see how that works? So it's actually not that hard to understand, but it just has to be broken down. Before I could go to Vegas, I have to leave California, you know? And as I'm leaving California, guess what I'm doing at the same time? I'm going to, I'm going to Hawaii, okay? So uh, it's important to understand how this works, but I will definitely say this. It's not like there's three options. There's either, there's two. You either have a lordless profession of faith or you have lordship. Jesus is your Lord. And when I read the early church fathers and when I read church history, uh, the only folks that didn't have Jesus Christ as Lord and thought they were saved in the early church period were the Gnostics, the enemies of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we have what's called easy believism, uh, cheap grace, where people just, oh yeah, just believe Jesus died for you, you're saved, but you can live like hell and still enter the kingdom of God. But Paul, three different times, says, be not deceived. Those who practice things will not inherit God's kingdom. It's a deception. Yeah, amen. And, you know, we have a we have a, a live chat that I know you'll love to answer, especially because this was used on uh, your son, actually, out on the mission field. So we're going to address the uh, the wrong answer at the end of this, but we do have some uh, some Patreons that we want to get back to. And before I even did that, I want to let you know that if you want to, if you're in the Texas area, we are actually going to be out in Texas. And Joe's going to be giving two messages specifically on once saved, always saved, as well as, and guys, you know, it has a near and dear place in my heart if you're from Good Fight. Uh, the fact he's going to be doing the Solder Souls to Rock and Roll, like presentation that has some updated artists from the 19th to 21st in Texas, in the San Antonio area. You can go to blessedhopetexas.org and check that out. We'd love to meet you. Get a chance to meet the whole Good Fight team because we'll all be out there. So really, really excited. And yes, I'm really, really excited to answer uh, how to 71's question later regarding repentance in the Gospel of John. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. But before we do, we have a sister. And sister, I I hope I got your name right here. Uh, You're from Philly. And it says... Your name is Chai, and I'm hoping that's right. I'm sure Tony spelled it wrong, but let's play her clip. Chai, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I absolutely love and enjoy the ministry and keep Mm. you all in prayer. My question is regarding giving of tithes. At this time, we've been in the pandemic, and churches have not been open or reopening fully, but over the past year, I've been attending another church um, by way of Zoom, and it is sound doctrine and teaching, just like your ministry. Should I continue to give my tithe to the building where I, you know, previously was going to church prior to the pandemic, or should I give it to this new ministry that I've been attending um, for, you know, less than a year? If that question can be answered, because I do listen to your videos on a daily basis, I would appreciate it. You know, I have prayed and asked the Lord to make it clear um, to me um, because I want to make certain that I'm given, you know, to the kingdom. But I want to make sure I'm given to the right ministry. So if you can let me know, I would greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, sister. I, I do think it's a great question. She's asking Basically, you know, hey, with COVID, churches shut down. 
She hasn't been going to her church. So now she's been growing from this online ministry and she's wondering, hey, who should I be giving, you know? And, and first of all, I guess we could deal with a little bit with the word tithe as well. You could go over that. And I'll be putting a teaching on tithing here that we ha- we've done on a podcast because I know you can't go at length on it. But uh, we would love to, you know, I'm sure she'd love to have an answer of where should I give my, my offering? Yeah, very briefly though, if you're using tithe, tithe in more of a colloquial, you know, in a basically just a sense in which you're, you're, you're using it as an expression of giving and not in the sense that you're literally, you know, you got to give 10% or else, uh, then I have no problem with using the terminology. But we don't specifically believe and personally believe that we we're, believers are required to tithe under the new covenant. And as a pastor, I've never taught you have to tithe. And many teach Malachi chapter three, God will bring curses upon you if you don't tithe. But they'll say, we're not under the law, but then they'll bring people under the law because that was a law that was given to Israel. However, uh, we also don't want to shirk the, what God's command, God's command to give, you know, and praise God for your heart that you have such a precious heart to, uh, support the work of the ministry and so forth. Uh, and I think it's great. Uh, you know, the Bible talks about being persuaded in your own mind regarding certain personal matters in Romans chapter 14. And, uh, when it comes to giving, uh, you're, it's going to be hard to, tell you specifically how to give. I try not to uh, do that with people. I just say, hey, you know, uh, I mean, <laughs> sometimes I do that with my wife, but nobody else, you know, maybe my kids here and there, uh, as far as what they spend their money on, right? But as far as, you know, you feel led, if you feel like there's a ministry that you want to support, uh, by all means, support it, because the scriptures talk about in Philippians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul talks about the giving that uh, when he writes to the Philippians that their sacrificial giving was, you know, uh, and the ministry that was a result of that would be credited to their account. So you want to make sure whatever ministry you're going to support, uh, that it's fruitful and it's bearing fruit and, and that you're doing it with the heart that you want to see God glorify people, uh, save people, grow in the truth and so forth. That's a precious thing and that'll be credited to your account on the day of judgment. However, uh, I want to say when it talks, to, you're talking about, you know, I believe our first, you know, our, our, our first, as far as, our, you know, we got to take care of our own household. We're told in 1 Timothy chapter uh, four, 3 and chapter 5 and what have you. But when it comes to helping ministry, I think the local church is what I emphasize is whatever church you're being fed at and you're involved in a, in a, in a fellowship, I think it's important that you, as long as it's a godly fellowship, they're teaching God's word and teaching truth and it's not some church you're in and you're like, man, until I find a better church where you're giving to false doctrine, you know, don't do that. But if you're in a church that's solid and they love Jesus, they may not agree with everything the way you do, but there's not like any blatant heresies that are damning people's souls. And there's really a work of it. They're doing God's work. By all means, churches need support. You know, I'm a pastor. I know churches need support to, uh, to pay for the building space often, uh, to, to, uh, pay salaries and so forth to keep people in ministry. Paul said, uh, Jesus said the worker is worthy of his wages and so forth. So that's very important. So it's really, it's a matter of conscience and you praying and seeking the Lord and then hopefully being led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, to give to whatever uh, the two works that are, you're getting blessed by the two different churches as you feel led. And then beyond that, ministries. I mean, we thank God for our Patreons because uh, we have people that aren't Patreons that have given through the years that have been such a blessing. And then we have many Patreons that have stepped up that are like, wow, they're giving us opportunity to reach a lot more people. So uh, we praise God for all the giving that God stirs up in people's hearts so we can work together as a team and see people saved. Yeah, amen. And and you guys know who've been on here listening to us long enough. You guys know we've been able to add uh, Josh Spidell as a uh, full-time editor here at Good Fight Ministries. That's why we've been able to just throw out 
all these projects. And you guys can forgive him for paying Sam's question twice in a row earlier, but nonetheless. And thank uh, God they haven't passed that minimum wage law yet. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, but Josh nonetheless. And, and by the way, speaking of providing, we do have a number, a couple of super chats that we're going to get to after we have two more questions. Now, the last one was more practical. This one gets uh, apologetic, I guess. We, we go theological, but this is more of an apologetic. And I know for me personally, I've heard this one as a new believer and so forth. So this is a great question by our brother there, John Hyro, who's asked questions in the past as well. So let's, let's play his question. Hey, God bless you. Good start. My name is John Hyro Roman, calling from the Bronx, New York. And my question was in regards to Judges chapter 11, in regards to Jeffrey's vow. Did he actually sacrifice his daughter as a burnt offering or was it her virginity that was offered up to God? Well, I guess that's the question. I mean, this is something that's, that's a big. Great question. When it comes to, in Judges 11, you have a judge of Israel, Jephthah, going and it says he sacrificed, he offered a burnt sacrifice to the first person to come out the door and it was his daughter. And he was grieved because it was his daughter. And then you have this scenario where it seems like, did he, did he actually burn her and sacrifice her? Did he get, offer up her virginity? Uh, because it says that they mourned over yeah. virginity and so That's forth. That's a great question. So I, I guess, yeah, biggest question. This is one of those things we talk about with the Bible when it comes to God never took out the warts of Scripture, but he shows us them of, of people. But either way, you know, what do we think is happening there with Jephthah? Well, we know that God would not approve of child sacrifice Amen. because he condemns it throughout Scripture. So if I say, hey, Lord, you know, uh, you know, if you do, if this happens, then I'm going to go rob a bank or I'm going to become a serial killer. I vow that to you. Would God expect me? No, I don't need to follow a wicked vow. I need to repent of making such a vow. So I have a really hard time believing that uh, that would be something that had happened and that God would honor. And we don't read that he murdered his daughter either. So yeah. why think the worst, you know? Uh, but we have to ask the question because that comes up when you're witnessing sometimes or when you're dealing with apologetics. So I think it's important to understand, and Chad, you alluded to, the, I think you made a really good point. Uh, because when you look at the text carefully, it talks about how she asked her dad if she could mourn for two months. But she doesn't mourn that she's going to die and be killed. She mourns what? She mourns that uh, she won't be able to marry. And uh, <laughs> I mean, if I was going to be killed in two months, I would be thinking, oh no, I'm not going to be able to marry. I'd be thinking, I'm going to die and not have life, period, you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, so uh, that's led, you know, many commentators and, and scholars to believe that uh, what's perhaps happening there is uh, that she's being offered to, uh, to temple work, you know, or to work in, work in a, be dedicated unto the Lord, you know? And I think that's important. That's interesting. Or, or you might say, you know, uh, there's people ministering the tabernacle, then later the temple and so forth. Remember, Hannah dedicated her son, uh, Samuel, uh, to lifetime of ministry and so forth. And many gals, especially in that culture, even more so than today in, in American culture, for sure, for the most part, it was such a big deal to get married, and rightly so, and to have, a, to have children. I mean, if you couldn't have children, it was such a grievous thing in those days, and you couldn't open the Scripture and read about the gift of singleness or, you know, and understand a lot of the Scriptures where God uses single women and just single men in radical, wonderful, beautiful ways. Uh, so to not for to have a dream like she probably had to be married and have children and so forth, and to see that because her dad made uh, a rash vow that she wouldn't be able to 
uh, pursue what may have been her dream uh, uh, makes a lot of sense to me, especially because it's unthinkable that uh, God would honor her being a, a man doing the very things that he warned against in Scripture. He condemns uh, sacrificing uh, your children. And that's important to understand because we have to be able to synthesize this, the, the scripture, uh, scripture with scripture, you know? And it's just like we talk about if, 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 if your viewpoint doesn't fit other scriptures, you got to jettison your viewpoint and seek an interpretation that fits with all of scripture. It's like the idea that, that Calvinism teaches that, that God before the foundation of the world predestined the greater part of humanity to writhe in eternal torment forever and ever. Uh, with before they even existed, without them being able to make a choice, but to do the very things he predestined them to do in word, thought, and deed, and they can only do those things and then punish them for doing the very things. That's unthinkable. But they they take isolate a few verses and it's out of context, and they don't seek to synthesize those verses with the tens of thousands of other verses in the Bible that say that don't say anything like that. But many speak just the opposite. So it's important to harmonize our understanding of, of scripture and come to a, a, the understanding of the paradigm of scripture. But it's a great question. Uh, that would be my answer, though. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's one 866 528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.